All right. Well, good morning. My name is Randy. Uh, glad to be with you guys. Uh, for those of you who are new, um, our church's name is Soma because uh, it's the Greek word in the New Testament for the body of Jesus. And we believe that uh, God came to save sinners, broken, weak, needy people, so that he could make us his own children by his grace and his love. And he would send us out into the world so that others would get to know his love and his grace through the tangible ways we do it with one another. And he makes us uh, and enables us to do that because we become his body where Jesus actually becomes our head because the Holy Spirit comes in us and lives in us and dwells in us and leads us and guides us and cares for us throughout our lives. And so we really take seriously not just meeting with Jesus in this room together as God's people, but meeting with him, with each other outside these walls and uh, into the hearts and lives of people that we become friends with in work and school and in our neighborhoods. And so if you want to know more about what it means to be a part of this church and what it looks like to take some next steps with us, um, we would love to talk to you about that. Um, the beginning of every month, we do have an intro to SOMA, so look for that in the early uh, time in January. Um, here, uh, Keep your ears open to the Next intro to SOMA for that. We'd love to have you there. I just want to give us a couple announcements. I'm excited to uh, continue on in our Advent series. But the first announcement I want to give is Christmas Eve, which is tomorrow. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve. Are we not excited? That's awesome. So be there on time. It's at 5 p.m. And it's, it's an hour long. So it's short and powerful, okay? So you don't want to miss it. So in fact, be there at... Uh, 4.50. Try to get there at 4.50. Also, please bring either cookies or a dessert to share because we want to fellowship together afterwards. We'll have some drinks, but bring a cookie or bring some cookies or uh, dessert to share. There is no children's programming, so it's an hour. We want to get started right at 5, so come and uh, grab your seats, and then we'll celebrate Jesus together. I'm so looking forward to it. We're going to celebrate the name uh, Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. So looking forward to that. Uh, then we have the next announcement. It's December 30th, the next Sunday, okay, the day before our aroundabouts uh, New Year's Eve, sorry, a couple days before New Year's Eve, we're going to have a brunch, and it's going to be at 11 a.m. in the cafeteria. So we're not going to meet in here next Sunday. We're going to have a brunch together at 11 a.m. in the cafeteria. It's going to be from 11 to 1. Please bring a generous brunch dish to share for that, please come to that. It's a great time of just connecting. We're a family. Worship doesn't just happen in a space like this, but it actually happens over a meal and in conversations. God loves to go deep with his people as we go deep with each other, and he's given us this gift called meal time to do that. And so please join us for that. It's in the cafeteria, 11 a.m. Make sure you got that on your calendars. I would hate for you to show up here the normal time and, and miss us, 11 a.m., December 30th, next Sunday, family brunch, Lincoln Cafeteria. Please bring a generous brunch dish to share. And then, uh, and by the way, I'm saying a lot of this stuff through uh, a handout we gave last week. If you didn't get one, it's at the Connect table. It has all this great stuff I'm saying on there. The last thing I want to say, Advent Conspiracy Fund. I'm not going to talk much about that because we've been talking a ton about that the last few weeks. I just want to say, please give towards that fund. Um, it's outside of your regular church giving. We call, we typically do this every December, an Advent Conspiracy Fund. Uh, if you're wondering what that is, ask somebody who's been here the last few Sundays. They'll tell you all about it. But half of the funds either go to, uh, half the funds go to Network Tacoma, helping people transition out of homelessness. And then the other part goes to our Benevolence Fund. 
The end of the fundraising for that will be at the end of December, the month of December. So if you're planning on giving, please make sure you do that. You can go online to do that. Or you can write a check, but just make sure you note on there, Advent Conspiracy. All right. Um, We're going to go ahead on to our message for this morning. Let me pray. We'll get started. Jesus, we love you. We bless your name. We know that you invite us here this morning not to gather around merely good music or good teaching or good fellowship. It's around you. It's around your person. It's around your work. It's around your presence that's here right now in this space, in this time. We are gathered around you, Jesus. We come to meet with you. So whatever reasons we might have came here, whatever motivations have brought us here, would you clarify in our hearts that you've brought us here to meet with you, the living God, the game changer of life, the centerpiece of all existence. So Jesus, come and minister, have your way to us. I pray that you would bring about receptivity in this room right now. You would soften hearts, you'd open ears, that everyone here would be ready to receive whatever you God, want to say, and God, I pray you'd open my heart to hear what you would want to say to me, to offer to your people. Draw all of us to your son, Jesus. Fill us up, overflowing, Lord, I pray in your name. Amen. I recently watched a a fantastic documentary on uh, World War I. It's called... They shall not grow old. If you're smart, you'll write that down. It's unbelievable. They shall not grow old. Sorry if that, you, might, you could still be smart and not write that down. It was raw. It was sobering. It was extremely powerful. Um, they took this 100-year-old footage of, of the war, which is black and white, and they made it into color. The guy that did, uh, Peter Jackson, the guy that did Lord of the Rings, just fantastic work on it. And he put together this very vivid documentary. It's, it's typically known as the Forgotten War in America, um, so he kind of brought that to life. And it shows these very young boys. It's ridiculous. 15 to 17-year-old boys. 15, okay, we've got some 15-year-olds in there. 15 to 17-year-old boys signing up and going to war. Initially, these boys and young men, they were actually excited and thrilled about the war. They were pumped. They didn't want to miss out on this big world event. And it's easy for us to look at that and be like, what is wrong with them? But I actually... As a young man, long, long time ago, I could relate to that. When I was in military college, I remember on September 20th, 2001, in the wake of 9-11, that evening, they gathered all of us cadets into the, the courtyard to listen to President Bush declare war and essentially kick off Operation Enduring Freedom and, and, and going to Afghanistan. And I remember after Bush's after Bush gave his speech, I remember thinking, oh, dear God, please don't let me miss out on this. I was a sophomore in college, and I was like, why is this happening now? I'm going to miss out on the war. And I remember thinking, my, I, my brother was older. I was like, he's going to get to go. Oh, man, I'm going to miss out. I don't want to miss this war. And there was this, there's this wondering, how much can I endure? Can I handle it? Do I have what it takes? So I, I don't know, I imagine some of these guys back then felt some of that. But here's the deal, when, when war actually 
is experienced, the romantic lens, it kind of subtly ends up coming off. And for me, it was losing some friends and seeing some just horrific scenes or just seeing the toll it took on my own soul. Um, but for these guys in, in World War II, or excuse me, World War I, and watching this documentary, because the romantic lens definitely came off, especially for these really young boys. It, oh, man, way worse. The, the constant barrage of artillery fire, the horrible, horrible trench life. When it was cold, it was freezing. The rats, the scarcity of food, the concern for sniper fire, seeing friends and people around them just taken out. The chemical and biological warfare, the things it did to them, oh, man, it's horrible. And what happens when you confront the reality, you kind of just like, you're kind of, you're done with it. You're like, I'm ready to go home. And that's what you start seeing in this documentary. The desire to fight, it goes away. Their main concern is like, I just hope I get home alive. And I just want to get the heck out of the pain and suffering. And that desire to avoid pain and suffering is common to all of us. To a very, very less dramatic degree, we see this in our everyday lives as followers of Jesus. We can get really excited about Jesus' message to to love him and to love and, and serve others until we get to know other people. And then it doesn't get as exciting as it was before. We, we, we try for a little bit. We try to work things out. We, we give our, our, our best shot. But then we experience pain. We experience the discomfort. We experience the suffering that we can bring to each other because we're human beings. And it's why we tend to avoid deep community and why going deep with God together. It's really hard and painful. And we like to think and talk about it at times, but when it actually comes to doing it for any long period of time, it just is overwhelming. There's a limit to what we can handle, and we're so prone to avoid pain. We tend to see suffering and pain as joy killers because it's accompanied with sorrow and unhappiness. But the Bible tells us that sorrow can actually lead us to a deeper sense of joy. In the letter to the Philippians that Paul wrote, it talks a ton about joy. Paul actually even commands it in the the letter. But what's interesting is Paul's actually in prison while he's writing the letter. And he gives this secret to the joy he's talking about. In Philippians 3 verse 10, he says, That I may know him, talking about Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. There is a joy that comes from fellowshipping and having an intimacy with God through suffering. Sorrow can actually have a positive spiritual impact on the heart and soul of man. The the actual sorrow is definitely not enjoyable. If you think it's enjoyable, that's not biblical. It's not enjoyable. But it can cause us to look more seriously to God and bring about a deeper enjoyment of our relationship with him more than laughter and happiness can. And for, Christ, for this Christmas season, we've been going through 
the Advent series, and um, where we've been hoping that we would kind of lose ourselves in the adoration of Jesus, in the worship, and in the deep love of Jesus. And we've taught each week uh, a particular name for Jesus, and this week we're going to talk about the name Man of Sorrows. Now, some of you might be thinking, why the heck are we doing that? It doesn't sound very celebratory for the Christmas holidays to talk about Man of Sorrows. There's not a lot of joy in Man of Sorrows. And my hope in this message wouldn't be to take away the joy, but actually to deepen it. We need to take a serious, serious look at the sorrow and suffering of the Christmas story to deeply rejoice in truly the good news of it. And so we're going to look at Isaiah 53, verses 2 through 5. I want to ask you to follow along with me as I read. For he grew up, this is a prophecy about the coming one, the Messiah, which we know is Jesus. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Over the years, it's easy for me to think of the Christmas story and Jesus' birth as, as mainly a warm, wonderful, sweet, and comfortable time. And I think we can see this idea in art different art and pictures that we're accustomed to seeing. In fact, I got some that I want to share with you guys. I got some that I want to share with you guys. <laughs> so we got this awesome, I'm just messing around, Andre. Uh, uh, I got this awesome nativity scene here. We got this beautiful lighting. We got this awesome big star over Mary and Joseph and little baby Jesus. It's warm. It's wonderful. You got these little child angels holding these, these little white bird. I'm not sure what all that is, but it's great. And then I got this, and then you could, the same nativity scene, they do a little twist with it. Let's go to the next one. We got, we got a white Christmas nativity scene here. Got tons of white snow. In fact, they added a little bit more bright light right there. And then you got some big stars in the, the manger scene. So that's great. So these are some of our nativity pictures. We also got this, this next picture. Here's what we're used to seeing, or at least thinking about in our mind's eyes, what our home should look like for Christmas holidays. Got the warm fire, got the stockings over the fire, we got candles, got the snowman outside, got the Christmas tree, we got the presents, just great, great, glorious Christmas in the home. And then we got the excitement of presents, the little one's excited, that little one right there is really excited, just got that big present, and dog's excited, and we got all this, just great stuff. Everybody's happy, and Christmas is fun and exciting, beautiful colors. And then we got a little baby. We got to dress up our little baby. This isn't my baby, by the way. I just got this on online. It's a cute little baby. I was just like, 
I came across the picture. I'm like, I got to show this picture. Little elf, this baby's dressed up like an elf. Too cute. What a cute Christmas baby. It's just awesome. I love these images. Anyways, thank you for humoring me and staying with me and all that. I, I, I think that's what we tend to think of when we think of Christmas. I, and I love Christmas. I love the Norman Rockwell pictures. I love watching the Christmas story. I love cutting down the Christmas trees. I love putting up the stockings. When I think of Christmas, I like to think of lights, hot cocoa, and seeing my kids excited about getting stuff and giving stuff to others and serving others and then just having a time of warmth and celebration and love. However, what's funny is I actually grew up with very little, if any, good Christmas memories. I grew up with a lot of dysfunction in my family, and the holidays tended to kind of amplify the dysfunction. I mostly felt empty, let down, and, and fairly alone. And, and a lot of us, I think, can easily feel that during the holidays. I have felt that in my recent years. I remember when I was you know, newly married, early days of starting a family, I could really go a little overboard with the Christmas festivities. My wife could tell you all about that. But it was kind of like I was making up for lost time. I didn't know that at the time, but I look back now. And, but at the end of those, that holiday season, I typically still felt like let, let down a little bit. Um, like, that's it? I wanted something more out of it. Whether it was more family connections or attend more festive events or my, for my kids to get more excited than I thought they should have or for better gifts. I mean, all kinds of things. I mean... It really wasn't that long ago, though, when I was really hit with how much of our culture's way of Christmas, which isn't all bad, but our culture's, culture's way of like amplifying Christmas began to kind of supplant and replace the Bible's understanding of the Christmas story that my heart was really yearning for. It was actually a big moment for me, a, a big shift, honestly, has been happening since then over the years, each year. There's a deepening of the enjoyment of Christmas And I think it's around getting a deeper grasp of the more sobering side of the Christmas story. The suffering and pain and sorrow of Jesus' birth that has brought a deeper joy and celebration of Christmas. The kind of joy, honestly, that transcends how well things are going in my life. Whether at work or how well relationships are going or how well the actual Christmas event goes. And I think it can be easy to forget what the birth of Jesus was like and what kind of world that Jesus actually entered into. One source I read said this. I read a bunch of them, but this one I really liked, and I just want to read this. The the world of Mary and Joseph was a difficult and dangerous place, one whose harsh conditions were not fully chronicled in the gospel accounts. They assumed the reader would know what it was like. Today, we have no idea how difficult it was. A newly betrothed couple, Joseph and Mary, is forced to register for a census in a town far away. They had to travel 90 miles to the city of Bethlehem. It was a fairly grueling trip. In antiquity, the most we find people traveling is 20 miles a day. And this trip was very much uphill and downhill. Joseph and Mary likely would have traveled only 10 miles a day because of Mary's impending delivery. And the trip through the Judean desert would have taken place during the winter when it's in the 30s during the day and rains like heck. That's what the article said. It's nasty, miserable, and at night it would be freezing. It's crazy, freezing. I didn't know this stuff. 
And the unpaved, hilly trails and harsh weather were not the only hazards Joseph and Mary would have faced on their journey south. One of the most terrifying dangers in ancient Palestine was the heavily forested valley of the Jordan River. Lions and bears lived in the woods. They weren't contained by zoos. Okay. And travelers had to fend off wild boars. Then you also had, it says, bandits, pirates of the desert, and robbers were also common hazards along the major trade routes. Nice family, fun vacation trip on the holidays, right? For this entire trip, their provisions would have only been bread and water. When they finally reached their destination after an arduous journey, they land in a humble and meager place. It's like, wow. And they get to this meager place, and Mary labors in a pretty dirty place. And mom and dad aren't there to comfort her. You think about that. I don't know. I thought about that this week. Like, yeah, mom's not there to hold her hand. She's not, like, there to be with her. They're suffering in this really, yeah, tough situation. And the baby is laid in a feeding trough for animals. Like, wow, a feeding trough for animals. I took my, to kind of help my mind and my kids, my family's mind, or get around this, you know, I felt like I had to get out of my living room for a little bit. I brought them outside. I took my kids outside, and I, I showed them our garage. I have, I have this, I sh- I'm sharing with you guys my humble abode, humble garage abode. Uh, it's a bit dilapidated, but it can provide shelter. And uh, please pass no judgments. But this is our garage. It definitely is quite drafty, to say the least. And I told them, I said, guys, you know what? This is actually a lot more like what Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus were kind of working with when... Uh, he came into the world. We're kind of like just sitting with it like, wow, that's crazy. Kind of helped get our mind out of what we're used to. And I'm not, I'm not sure what it really looked like for those guys because the Bible account doesn't really get specific with it. But I think my garage is, is, is a closer comparison than inside my house by a fire and comfy couches. And I, I just, it's absolutely insane that the king of kings, the creator of you and me, the creator of the world, the one who gives you life and breath, the maker of life, he chooses to enter into a place of hardship and suffering and utter humility. It's just wild. It's crazy, guys. The humble and painful way God chooses to come to us, it doesn't even stop there. The time period Jesus came to our world was filled with political and religious unrest. In fact, out of fear and paranoia of losing his kingship, Herod, who was like the ruler of the Jews at the time, he sought to, to murder baby Jesus because of the prophecy made about his arrival in the Old Testament. And this resulted in the massacre of several little boys in Bethlehem. In Matthew's gospel account, he kind of forces us to linger on that horrific event way longer than any of us would like to linger on anything like that. By quoting Jeremiah 31, 15, he says this, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Do you hear the pain and heartbreak in that? Furthermore, this horrible event, it makes Mary, Joseph, and Jesus become refugees. 
the account says they had to flee to a foreign land because of this persecution. It's, man, the pain and sorrow and suffering is so intense around the birth of Jesus. Wow. Have you ever sat with that? It is so important we connect with the true Christmas story. So important. There's been a movie that actually has helped Lisa and I do that the last couple of years. I don't know if any of you have heard, have any of you heard the movie, The Nativity Story? Any of you guys heard that movie before? Raise your hands if you heard it. Yeah, still a lot of people haven't. Okay. I didn't hear about it until a few years ago. Um, though it's not 100% historically accurate according to the scripture, um, though it mostly is, it has been amazing for Lisa and I to watch um, every year because it really kind of takes us out of our little cultural context and brings us a little bit closer to the Palestinian one. It's so amazing, so helpful. It really takes you back in time. It's a great movie. Honestly, if you haven't seen it, if you really want to serve yourself well with like a lot of rejoicing this Christmas and connecting with Jesus, watch it. Watch it today. Please do. It's, it's, it's amazing. Here's the deal. The manger of Jesus' birth, because it, it gets crazier, the manger of Jesus' birth is a clue to what he came to do and to what every day of his life would be like. It just doesn't even end at his birth story. Jesus was born to be our rescuer. Matthew 121 says, Jesus will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And the crazy thing is as a rescuer of broken, hurting, and sinful humanity, God chose to rescue sufferers by becoming a sufferer himself. He was born to save us. And like Isaiah 53 says, it's by carrying our griefs and our sorrows. But his glory would be hidden by most, not just at birth, but for the rest of his life. As Philippians 2 says, he's emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant. Isaiah 53, verse 2, in the message, it says it like this. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over. His humble servant arrival in life, it, it didn't make him attractive. To his community's eyes, he was a kid born out of wedlock. He was born of a humble town where no one expected anything ever truly good or glorious to come out of it. He lived a life feeling grief over sin and suffering all around him. He wept over it. We see that in the scriptures. But he also experienced it for himself. He was very acquainted with rejection. He was Rejected by leaders and rulers. The crowds that wanted him only for immediate gratification and then quickly done with him. Even his closest friends ended up rejecting him. And there was those that hung on for quite a bit. But then when it came down to kind of complete rejection and death, they left. They abandoned him. When he needed it most, they left him. Their leader and, and friend. He suffered excruciating physical pain. He was tortured horrifically and nailed to a cross. He was mocked and provoked even while he was suffering on the cross. From the manger to the cross, Jesus' life was filled with pain and sorrow. 
Have I made us feel uncomfortable enough? Am I doing a good job? Are we in it? Okay, Randy, what is the point? Why so much suffering, pain, and sorrow? Come on, it's Christmas. Every moment, here's why. Please pay attention to this. Every moment of his suffering was done with you in view. Jesus came to suffer because he came to be your savior. He could have ended it all by calling an army of angels and it would have been done. No suffering. He could have done it that way. Could have been it. He chose not to. He chose to save you, which meant he suffered for you, for me. He faced the ultimate rejection because we could take it further that anyone could ever face by suffering in the place of your sins and your brokenness and mine. Isaiah 53, picking up with verse 5, he says, he was pierced for whose transgressions? Our transgressions. He was crushed for whose iniquities? Our iniquities. Verse 6 says, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of who? Us all. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Jesus willingly. It wasn't just God chose to put him to grief. Jesus willingly chose that as well. John 10 says, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to pick it up. He went. He chose to. When I, when I used to rucksack in the military carrying a very heavy weight on my back, I couldn't wait to get that pack off. The weight was so, 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 so heavy. It would eventually feel like the shoulder straps were like cutting through your neck. I thought my head would get shot off, chopped off at some point. It wasn't going to happen. It just felt like that. It was just really sharp on the, on the neck. And, uh, and then the shoulder straps would feel like it's crushing your shoulders. I mean, you're just like, the pain, man, after going on for long, long, long periods of time. And it felt so good when you, when you saw the end point because you know you're about to just offload the weight. And it's just like, it's amazing. There's nothing better, man. And sin is humanity's greatest weight and burden. There's no greater weight. There's no greater burden than sin. And deep within our conscience, we actually all know it. And many of us, that's why we walk around and we're constantly wishing and trying to find a way to offload it. And Jesus, he lived a life without sin. He never had sin. Never. Isn't that crazy through all that suffering? I stubbed my toe, man, and all kinds of sin happens after that. Isn't that crazy that you had so much hardship? I think it's cold in this room, and I'm like, grumbling, like, oh, this is so hard, God. Like, what is going on? Can it just be warm, you know? I mean, I, I, it kind of helps me when I'm getting dramatic like that to kind of think about, like, gee, like, wow, all that he went through. No sin? Come on. A little bit of sin. No, no sin. It's crazy, man, without sin. And yet he sought to load himself up on his back 
our burdens and sin. I can't, like, walk, rock in. You don't go around looking for everybody else's rock to take on. You're just like, oh, Jesus, please let me get through it so people don't see me fail. Like, I just want to get through this. You don't look around trying to take everybody else's stuff. He, he's just, Jesus is like, he's just putting it on his back. He's just taking it. He's just taking it and taking it and taking it. He sought to enter into burden and pain. We try to avoid it. He's like, he's looking for it to take it on. He sought to take on the load. And at the cross, at the end of his life, at the finish line, so to speak, Jesus doesn't stop carrying the load. In fact, it just gets piled on all the more. Jesus, who knew no sin, it says he actually became sin in our place. He became, he took your sin by becoming your sin in your place. That's ridiculous. Jesus never offloads the weight. He persevered through it. That's nuts. That's our king, man. He made it all the way. The worst pain, the worst suffering, the worst rejection. He didn't stop. He takes it on himself, the full weight, the full burden of your sin, my sin, our brokenness. And he chose to do that. He willingly followed through with it. Thank God that Jesus is the man of sorrows. Jesus let that load pierce him. Jesus let that load crush him. For your sake, for my sake, we're the causer of the load. And he just takes it on himself. And it should amplify the joy we have in him. And here's why. When I give Lisa a gift in a way that I actually labor over it, I actually put some thought into it. There's actually some planning. There's actually some sacrificing. There's actually some effort. That communicates, she lets me know, that communicates to her love, that I care about her. But if I do the last minute deal, like, oh, I forgot. Let me go grab something real quick at the store on my way home from work. Kind of gift giving to her. When there isn't much thought, there's not much effort. Where I forget, or it feels maybe even obligatory. Something I got to do. It doesn't communicate love. And guys, what this story is giving, the extent of how far God went to sacrifice for us. It communicates eternal and infinite love like you or me have never known or ever will apart from Christ. It's amazing. And he planned this sucker out from eternity past. He knew everything that would happen. The father and son, they made this plan together. They've been planning the ultimate gift, the ultimate surprise from eternity. It's amazing. So there is truly something to celebrate about Christmas. Absolutely. We should celebrate. Deck the halls, man. There's a lot to celebrate. The Christmas trees, the stockings, the festivities, they're all meant to point to him. Hallelujah, man. Why? Because he didn't just die and suffer. He conquered. He defeated death. He, could, he defeated the suffering and the pain because he actually defeated sin and he overcame it once and for all. Because you don't rise from the grave unless you overcame it. And he overcame it. He rose. The suffering actually has a point. It has a purpose. One day the Bible says every tear is going to be wiped away. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to finish the work once and for all. He's going to make it all new. There's no more of the sin and brokenness and pain. You see that stuff, the suffering, it doesn't have the last word. 
It never does. And actually, something really cool I found out this week too. Listen to God's promise to the weeping moms who lost their baby boys. Listen to this. Because remember of Herod's ruthlessness, like I read in Jeremiah 31, the two verses right after that, listen to this. This is what God says. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. Do you know what Matthew is doing when he's telling us to take a peek at Jeremiah 31? He's inviting us to hear the rest of the story. To go turn to Jeremiah and hear the rest of the story. God will act to rescue and restore his people from the terrible situation. Matthew wants us to understand that the hope promised to those mothers back in Jeremiah's time, it's those babies that were taken captive in Babylon. And what he's saying is the hope promised to the mothers is the same thing in Bethlehem who lost their children. And it's the same thing he's saying to all who face horrendous evil and injustice. There is hope. Jesus, the man of sorrows, has sealed a victory that out of death and suffering and pain, God brings life, new life. Christmas, you see, Christmas becomes a deep joy. A deep celebration when we realize the deep and sobering reality of how far God went to rescue us and what he actually accomplished for us and for his glory. Amen? Because Philippians 2 says, because of that, the Father has said, he has the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. All glory be to Jesus. It's for his, the praise of his glorious grace. But my last thing I got, that's a, a powerful implication of this truth, is he gets your pain. He gets your pain and he gets the pain of our world. He's in the muck and mire. He's, the dark, he's in the dark and hurting places. The dirty places. The man of sorrows. In the humility, his ordinariness, his hardships, his suffering. I mean, think about just my garage scene. The dirtiness, the draftiness, the coldness, the hardship, the hunger, the pain, the sorrow. I don't know about you, but does it not make God more approachable? Does he not feel that much more accessible? Do you ever feel cold? And I'm not talking about cold. I'm talking about your heart, your soul. Is there ever a coldness in your life where you feel like no one sees your loneliness? No one gets you feeling misunderstood. You ever feel alone or isolated? Isn't it amazing to know that God who's big and powerful, and he is, almighty, who comes and suffers in such a way where he communicates to you and us, he gets your pain. He gets your hurt. He sees you and he wants you to know he is with you. That's amazing. He gets your desires and your longings. He gets you. 
Like we sang in O Holy Night. I lo- this, this is one of my favorite lines in O Holy Night, Brittany, right here. The king of kings lay thus in lonely manger in all our trials born to be our friend. That's the king of kings. He knows our need to our weakness. He's no stranger. Wow. That's my king, man. He, he's not a stranger to my weakness. I'm weak. I'm more weak than I would even want to let you guys know. But he knows. That's so freeing, man. Is that not freeing to you? It's comforting to know that. I've talked to at least a few of my friends this week, and we spent a lot of time praying in preparation for their Christmas experiences because of the difficulties and pain that they're going to have to embark in with their family. The loneliness that can come with it. It's a real thing. It's a real struggle. And I'll I'll be honest, if Christmas is a story only about jolly, happy, and good times, it can easily isolate us. And I think it has. I think it has at, at times. It can be easy to become cynical, sad, depressed, and filled with anxiety during the holidays. Because there is a lot we are struggling with. And sometimes singing Deck the Halls and Jingle Bells, it just doesn't do it. It doesn't do it. But if the Christmas story is founded on great suffering and pain, immense humility, there can be relating and fellowshipping with him in his suffering. I know for me, there is a different kind of comfort I get in my sorrows and pains over my war experiences when I get to process with someone who gets it, with someone who's actually been there. There's just a difference. Not that I can't be comforted by someone who hasn't. I'm just saying there's a difference. It's like when I hear my wife talk to some of her girlfriends about the birthing experience. When I hear them talk, because me and her will share like, oh, that was wild, that was crazy, oh my gosh. But when I hear her talk to other women that have actually birthed, there's just a different kind of commiserating, kind of like celebrating, kind of just talking about the experience. It's just different because they've been through it together. And guys, man, what, the, what this amazing Christmas story is trying to tell you, man, Jesus gets us, gets you in every way. Man, he's experienced the fullness of it, guys. He has. He gets you. He gets you in every way. He loves you. Jesus suffered massive wounds so that through his suffering, we can actually be healed. That's what he wants to bring healing. And in the midst of our pain and suffering, it looks like connecting and taking our suffering and pain and connecting it with his suffering and pain. I don't know if you've ever done that. It's a pretty massive experience to connect your pain with someone else's pain. That's what's great about sitting with another war vet, talking through some of that stuff. But when, when you get to do it with Jesus, it's, it's of an e- eternal, infinite value and power. It brings soul healing. Deep, deep soul healing. And it's letting his presence comfort you. Second Corinthians 1.5, as we end our time here, it says this. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Wow. The comfort's abundant through Christ. Family, if if Jesus would go to the extremes that he did to take away our sins and rescue us from sin, We can take heart. He's going to care for us in every kind of way. He's going to take care of you. He's going to bring comfort. He wants to bring peace. He has everything in him that you need and that you're looking for. And I'm even talking about today, right now. 
Sin is far worse than anything we could ever face. He took care of it. He'll take care of you. Will you let him? Will you receive him? Will you see receive this this good news Christmas story that comes from a lot of pain and brokenness that Jesus took on himself for you so that you would know his good news, that you would know his comfort, that even in the midst of suffering you can receive. Well, what I want to do, I want to invite Brittany and Blair to come on up, and what I want to do as they come on up is kind of prepare us to respond to God who is here in this place with us, One of the things we like to do, especially in our gatherings, is make sure we don't merely be spectators to a a message, because it's easy to do that. It's kind of here. You listen a little bit. You're like, "Uh uh-huh, I got some conviction. But then you walk out and you kind of forget it. God wants us to actually interact with him. We're all, any one of us can be God's people. It's just a simple willingness saying, okay, God, what do you want to say to me? And so I don't want to get in the way of that. So what I want to do is I'm going to invite us to, invite you guys to interact with God with whatever he might be stirring up in your hearts. And what, what we're going to do is invite you guys to respond in one of two ways. Either come to the communion table to grab the elements and then go back to your seats. Or there's going to be people out on the sides here that are willing to pray with you. And pray for you or pray with you. And you, so you can go do one of those two things. And um, in a moment, I'll have us all stand up, and Brittany's going to lead us in a song called Man of Sorrows, and, um, and I'm going to give you time to meditate on which one God's calling you to do, and uh, she'll release you to do one of those two things, so I'm just setting up our time here. But for the prayer thing, what I want to say for you guys is this. Some of you guys, you got some burdens that you're carrying right now, and you would just, it, it would be a very freeing thing to go to someone and just have them pray with you, listen to you a little bit, and then pray with you, so that you can see Jesus come in and kind of comfort you or, or, or be a burden lifter right now. It's something you're facing. I want to, please go get prayer if that's you. Or you, you might be here and you're, you're wrestling just with a few things, maybe a few big decisions in your life. Go get prayer. Let someone process that with someone. Let them pray with you. You might be here and you got like certain back pains or maybe you got a neck pain or you're just not feeling good. You got headaches or you're just kind of feeling sickly and you feel weak physically. I want to invite you, go get prayer. What if God has you here just to be with someone and feel, feel some of his love through someone just put their hand on your back and praying for you? But maybe you're just struggling with some family member and you're like, oh man, I got to see them tomorrow. Help me, Jesus. Well, go get prayer. You can say, hey, I, I want to go ask someone to help me pray just to give me endurance and love for these people to have grace for them. Guys, we need Jesus' help for that. You ain't going to manufacture that kind of love on your own. Those pains run deep. But God's love runs deeper, and you need that. So you might need to get prayer for that. Any one of those things. So I want to invite us to stand up right now. Oh, and I do need to set up the table, which I'm going to do right now. The communion table, um, this was written, 1 Corinthians uh, 11. For I received from the Lord what what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Guys, what we're really entering into here is a time of adoring Jesus. 
going to get prayer, that's, you know you're adoring him. Like, you just go get prayer about your needs and hurts. You're adoring Jesus. You come here, and you grab the bread, you dip it in the cup, you go back to your seats. You're celebrating as you say, I need him to die and suffer for me because I'm a sufferer who needs to be rescued. That's what you're saying. So all those who believe that, you're invited to the table to come and partake. So as Brittany leads us in this wonderful song, Brittany and Blair, ask Jesus where he might be leading you this morning, how to respond, okay? And then Brittany will lead us from there. So Jesus, come now, fill us and guide us. We pray in your name. Amen.